readily recalled the advert which says of New Zealanders, in crazy, we believe, as demonstrated by flight controllers and boats riding above the water on their foils. Having enjoyed watching the races, listening to commentaries, and being enlightened by the amazing accompanying graphics, most of us now have a better idea of such things as the need for excellent teamwork amongst all manner of people, both on and off the water, the importance of the boat's design, cool-headed skippers and crews, perfectly timed starts, the role of fit and strong grinders regarding the boat's hydraulic systems, flights on foils, tacking to, to take advantage of wind shifts, careful countdowns leading into the turns at the end of a mostly six-legged course, and steady handling of a boat as it went across the finishing line. Well, last Wednesday afternoon, the America's Cup once again became New Zealand's Cup, and the jubilation and excitement down at the harbour and the viaduct basin amongst the crowds was understandably very tangible. All this for glory of a kind that will eventually fade in comparison to what Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, has offered to believers for over 2,000 years. That is his cup of blessing that brings forgiveness of sin, freedom from the sting of death, and life eternal. Now, as Mark said as we began, today is the fifth Sunday in Lent, otherwise known as Passion Sunday. When we think about what Jesus said about his impending death for our sakes, and so let's look at John 12, 20 to 33, a little more closely. The first section focuses on some Greeks who wished to see Jesus. Many Greeks loved to travel and learn new things, and so it was very natural that they would gather in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. They may have been around previously, when Jesus had taught or healed or cleared the temple of their traders, or he may have been around, they may have been around in bustling Passover crowds, but and they may have overheard Jesus conversing with his disciples. So the questions they asked themselves may have been: Who is this Jesus? What's he doing? Can we Greeks become proselytes or converts? Such questions probably motivated them to approach Philip, who was from Bethsaida, a Greek-speaking city in Israel. And so it was that these Greeks asked to see or to meet with Jesus. The gospel writers hint regarding the soon coming universality of the gospel. Philip, Andrew, 
and presumably the Greeks approached Jesus, who seemed to respond to the Greeks' request to see him rather obscurely. John 12, 23 says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the backstory regarding Jesus' words is important. You see, the Jews dreamt of a golden age when they would be free from the nations that had oppressed them. Their expectation was that God would send someone to sort things out on their behalf. One like a son of man, as pictured in Daniel chapter 7. So when Jesus said that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, his listeners would have caught their breath. They believed that the trumpet call of eternity had sounded and that the conquering might of heaven was on the march. But Jesus had something else in mind. Death on a cross, resurrection, and then his ascension to God's right hand. Jesus was saying that only by death comes life. The next verse, John 12, 24, is a parable. And Jesus used it to explain not only how, or explain things to the Greeks, but how people could see him. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, of course, was speaking about himself. His death and resurrection would be the vehicle through which not only his disciples and curious Greeks, but all of humankind could see Jesus could truly see what he is all about. For through his death comes life, life eternal, resurrected life, life after life. In John 12, 25, the concepts of love and of hate are contrasted in a paradoxical statement. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. And in the next verse, Jesus states, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honour. In human experience, down through the ages, these sayings have proved to be true. For when concerned and committed people are prepared to die for their cause, much can be achieved. It was by the death of courageous, faithful Christians that Christianity first grew. And this is summed up in the well-known phrase by Tertullian, a Christian writer in the first century. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Also, many have learned that in dying to self daily, more can be accomplished for the sake of God's kingdom than we can ever imagine. Exemplified by Francis of Assisi in the final sentence of his peace prayer, 
It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And so we come to the second section of this morning's gospel passage. In John 12, 27 and 28, the focus is on the immediacy of Jesus' hour or impending death. But John reports that Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Even though Jesus would have known that as God incarnate, he was to instigate the new covenant, as described in Jeremiah 31, today's first reading, he was understandably still troubled as he faced his own impending death. And yet, he laid down his life of his own free will and prayed, Father, glorify your name. Most of us would find it hard to pray a similar prayer for as much as we say that we love God, we often struggle regarding having our hearts renewed or laying down our lives in God's service. We have our family, work, church community, neighbours, friends, social life and civic responsibilities to attend to. We're on all manner of teams and committees and boards. We have programs and projects to run. And when the difficulties of life find their way to us, we usually only reach out to God when we have exhausted our own resources. But that is not what we do when the love of God has been grafted into our hearts. When we live in Christ, and seek to fulfill God's will in our lives. But back to our text. John writes, Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Of course, the synoptic gospels indicate that Jesus had heard the Father speak to reassure him on several other previous occasions like, for example, his baptism or his transfiguration. So here in John's Gospel, the publicly audible answer to Jesus' prayer testifies to God's involvement in the events of Jesus' hour. God was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead, and he would be there for Jesus throughout his suffering and death, and resurrection. Even if on the cross Jesus felt separated from the Father as he bore our sin upon himself. Now to change tack a little. Anyone studying the Psalms becomes aware of the term parallelism. That is a phrase or a sentence with a parallel or corresponding meaning. And that's what's going on when Jesus said, 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. He was, of course, speaking about the Satan or evil one, spoken about in the Genesis story of Adam and Eve being tricked into disobeying God and thus causing sin and death to affect all of humankind. But the time was fast approaching when God's love for us would be shown in and through Jesus, the second Adam, who was to deal with the problem of sin and death and show us how to live as part of God's new creation. Now, I just want to say that I find it amazing that our creator would lovingly seek us out when we most needed forgiveness. You see, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived to show us what God is like. He became accursed and died a cruel death to reverse the effects of sin and death. The Apostle Paul wrote, Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. In other words, the disobedience of the Adamic couple has affected us all. And from 1 Corinthians 15.22 we read, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. As promised in Jeremiah 31, our first reading today, Jesus has become the mediator of the new covenant, offering us his cup of blessing. So this morning, if by God's grace you believe in Jesus, you have God's love implanted in your heart and in your mind, and you have become part of God's new creation, which is full of life. And one day, in the twinkling of an eye, you, like Jesus the first fruit, will be fully resurrected to life after life by God's eternal power. This is good news indeed. Hallelujah and Amen.